He couldn't have, that Red Sea wouldn't have parted if the Lord hadn't have honored what he told them, the man of God to do. Amen. And so he, he honors what he sends us to do. And I do truly lean on the Lord every day. I lean on him. I need him. I don't know about the rest of you, but I need the Lord. I'll never forget that song I heard for the very first time when Brother Parker got up to sing it. I had never heard it before. I started to sing it, but I'm not going to. I lean, how did it go? I lean, I lean, I lean, I lean, leaning on the Lord. If we lean on our own side, when I heard that, when you, when you sang that the first time in Okinawa, I said, well, I like that. That's a good one. That would be another one for another day. <laughs> but we do. We really do depend on and lean on the Lord. We're not doing this thing all by ourselves. Otherwise, we're just here meeting as a club. Amen. But we're here about the Lord's business, aren't we? Amen. He saved us. He called us. He made us to be what we are and who we are. Amen. He did. Whether you agree or not. <laughs> We're here because he placed us here. Amen. We are, we're saved because he drew us and we responded to that. But I walk with the Lord every day because he puts in something in me, a desire to want to serve him. Because the Bible says that in me dwells no good thing. In me of my own human nature, my own will dwells no good thing, but with him living inside of me, I got some somebody that'll walk with me, talk with me, lead me, guide me, and I can t- depend on and trust in and lean on him whenever I need him. He's always there. You know, I never get a busy signal. I never get a a voicemail that says, I'm away right now. Please leave a message at the sound of the beat. I don't get that from God. He's always there. Sometimes he doesn't answer. But that doesn't mean he's not there. He's just listening. Right? He knows when we need to hear from him, and he knows when we need to trust that he's there, even when we can't feel him, can't see him, can't hear him. He he is never. It's one of the few times that I can use the word never and be and be okay with that. Because my philosophy is never say never, but the Bible says he's ne- he'd never leave us nor forsake us. Never. And he means that. He God sticks to his word. When he said never, he means never. Amen. How many's ever had felt like God left you? Nobody in this room's raising their hand. Amen. You felt maybe felt like you thought he did, but he didn't. He's always been there. Amen. Sister Bell, would you do me a favor and you almost knew I was gonna pick on you, didn't you? <laughs> We're going to receive our Sunday school offering. Lord, thank you for this offering today, for the goodness and grace and mercy that you've already bestowed and extended to us this morning by giving us life and health and breath. We can't even live and breathe without you, Father, and we thank you for your goodness today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. And the devil's a liar. I like reminding him of that. Every time, every chance I get, I don't, you know, I don't want to glorify the devil, but I like reminding him, you're still a liar. You know, you're still, you're always going to be a liar. You're never going to get to go where I'm going. You're never going to get to see what I'm going to get to see. You had your chance and you messed it up.
So I just like reminding the devil he's a liar and he's going to a place he don't really want to go. Amen? God's in control of all things. The devil's just like a roaring lion. He, he isn't one. Amen? And so we, we put our faith and our trust. We lean on the Lord this morning. He's going to direct and guide us. So we've been talking about unity. Everybody say unity. And we've been talking about some aspects of unity. We talked about in the, initially, we talked about defining unity, what unity is. And I, I said at the beginning of this, there is no way that you can cover this subject in four weeks. And actually I had three weeks because of church on the ground. So even in, in a whole year, I don't think you could really just get through all of the things and all the nuances about unity and really cover it well. But we did, we, we did kind of touch on unity as we're doing with a lot of these subjects because we need all these things as building blocks. You know, Pastor Parker has talked about adding, you know, to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge, and that's talking about you put one brick down and you put some mortar down you stick another brick on top of it. And then you put some more mortar down you stick another brick on top of it. And so we're building something here with all these subjects that we're talking about. And so the following week, we kind of combined def- defending unity and developing unity, and we talked about how that unity is not something that's automatic. It's something that we have. We have unity within ourselves, with our own being, with our own conscience, with our own person that we are. We're, un- we're united in the sense that we've decided how we're going to live, and we're, we're united with that. We're united with one another. We have unity of purpose. We have unity of mind. We have unity of direction and focus where we're going. But those those unities aren't going to just happen. And matter of fact, we have an enemy. I was just talking about him that he is in the business of bringing disunity. He's going to bring you disunity within yourself, get you all tied up and burned out and all these things that are going to go on. He's going to try to get you beat down where you can't be effective for the kingdom. But he's going to try to bring disunity in the body. We talked about how if the enemy can develop and create disunity in the body, he don't really have to tempt us with sin. He can just get us all fighting among each other, everybody pushing and pulling in different directions, and he's got us beat. And we're just going to beat ourselves. He'll just kind of step back and take a coffee break and watch us destroy ourselves from within. So we've got to be aware that unity is... It's something that we have, it's something that we need, but it's something that we gotta maintain. We gotta have it. We all gotta be pushing in the same direction. So, and then we talked a little bit about developing unity. That's kind of where I'm gonna pick up and as I've already said, I, there's no way I, as I study through this, there's just no way that you can just touch on all this. So I have to touch on a lot of things and leave it up to you just like when I'm sitting where you are, I make a lot of notes. You'll see me with my iPad out. I'll be p- typing a lot of notes because I just, just the thoughts start rolling in my head. And I know with my age and everything, if I don't put this stuff down on paper or something, I'll forget it. Cause then I'll later I'll be going, man, what was that I was going to write down? <laughs> so write it down. If you feel that thought come and take that with you and study it on your own. Cause God might be directing you in a particular area where that you need to maybe, you know, press upon a little bit. So we're going to talk a little bit about unity. We've been taking this out of the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And so we're going to kind of talk about displaying unity. And 
about how humility and meekness and love aid in building unity. All those things are important. Unity in and of itself is is good, but there's there's other ingredients in the cake, if you will, that you've got to have in order to have unity among people because we all are human, right? We all have our own idiosyncrasies and we all have our own little personality traits and things about us and things that, that just kind of, from a flesh standpoint, we can kind of rub against each other sometimes, even in marriage. We, you know, my wife and I don't always agree on everything. If you, one, one guy said, if you always agree on everything, one of you is not necessary. <laughs> so God made us opposites for a reason. So that we don't agree on everything, so that we, Iron sharpens iron, but that, to me, that's what that means. We're not always going to agree on everything, but we are going to be able to agree to disagree and be united in that. So all these little personality traits, these things that we have to have in our life, humility, meekness, and love, aid in the building of unity. It's all a part of it. Okay? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all loneliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing in one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And in Ephesians 4, 1 through 2, in the Amplified, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, appeal to and beg you to walk, to lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service. Living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind, humility, and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, with patience, bearing with one another, and making allowances because you love one another. We do love one another, don't we? We don't always like one another, but we do love one another. I'm not always going to like everything you do. You're not always going to like certain things about me, but we can come together as a body of people and lay those things aside and say, we're here about the kingdom. We're here about what God's purpose and will is. It's not about me. It's not about my opinion of you. It's about what God wants me to do today. Amen? So we're going to talk a little bit about humility and gentleness. Paul emphasizes that humility and gentleness are keys to displaying and maintaining unity in the body. Now, Paul is writing this letter to a church, and it's probably more than one congregation, my guess. In Ephesus was a pretty large city. I, I, I just feel like there was more than one group of people meeting together in Ephesus, but he was addressing this to the, the body in, in general. And in a lot of cases, these letters, even though it was a letter to, from Paul to the church at Ephesus, it was really a letter that they took and read in their build, their church. I don't know if they really had a building. They were probably meeting in homes, but then they took that letter and passed it on to the other churches. And it was Paul was it was Paul's way of you know today we just hand out DVDs and CDs to one another and we hear what the preacher said at camp, right? But they didn't have that, so they had these letters. And so Paul is trying to get across if he's addressing this subject, there must be a need for it. He must know some things are going on that he's got to do what he's got to do and say what he's got to say, what the Lord is telling him to say 
in order to help maintain unity because you got to remember this is a fledgling church they were the they were the new thing if you will the church was brand new in its baby form and so they were going through a lot of struggles they were going through a lot of changes and you got Jews and Gentiles mixing together and so there's a lot going on there's a lot of uh ingredients there to bring disunity just because of cultural things and all those kind of things, the differences between Jews and Gentiles and circumcision and uncircumcision and all these things. So Paul is really kind of having the ding-dong, I guess you could say, on these things to make sure that they kind of keep their focus. Just like we were being taught this morning, we got to stay focused on the mission. We can't let external things kind of disrupt what we're doing we we can find ourselves that's what paul was trying to do is keep them from burning out trying to fight with one another and and have that disunity he was trying to get them to be united and so the church uh, as i said was very new they were making a lot of mistakes do we make a lot of mistakes today even today why is that because we're human right we're frail Amen. God didn't say he made us perfect, but he told us to strive for perfection. So we're still on the wheel. We're still that clay on the wheel. We're still being turned and formed and made every day. And I'm thankful for that, that the Lord's still working on me. Praise God. And Paul knew that he wouldn't be around long, so he had to put some things into some men like Timothy and these different ones that he would send to these churches, he was trying to emphasize these things to other leaders because Paul knew, just like Jesus did, that there was coming a time where he wasn't going to be on the scene any longer. And so he had to get this message of unity out there. So if you go back to to the day of the, of the first church, you, you'll find that the ancient Greeks at the beginning of the church age, they kind of considered humility and meekness and things like that as a weakness and as a character flaw. It didn't really count it as a strength. But God, Paul was trying to, and God was trying to tell the church, you need these things if you're going to be united for my purpose. And the world, even society today, tells us that we need to demand our rights, we need to flaunt our possessions, we need to broadcast our achievements, and even the food we eat on social media. Right? It's all about me. And what I'm eating and what I'm doing and, and who my friends are and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's kind of the same attitude. There's no meekness. There's no humbleness in any of that, is there? It's all prideful. It's all, look at me. Look what I, look at my new car. Look at this. Right? And so we're told that we need to decry any kind of mistreatment. You know, Paul was mistreated a lot. For, the, for what? For preaching the gospel. For trying to build the church. He was, he was more than mistreated, I'd say. <laughs> he was nearly killed several times. But the Lord wouldn't let him die because he wasn't done with him yet. And so we're told that we, that we need to decry any mistreatment. We need to uh, decry any trials or any tests or anything that comes our way. And, and all this is rooted in pride and not humility and meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. Humility is strength. Jesus advised us to follow his example in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
Get in the yoke with me and let me lead, is what he was saying. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Perfect example for us to follow. He is meek and lowly of heart. Right? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, didn't he? He was trying to follow that same example. He didn't know Jesus like the other disciples, but he hadn't learned by reading about him. And he said, hmm, this guy was humble and meek. Maybe there's something to that because he was one of the most effective speakers that ever walked the face of the earth. Right? He says, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't mean there won't be a yoke. But if you get into his yoke, it's easy and his burden is light. He's not going to put things on us that we can't handle. It's going to feel like he did sometimes. But he's trying to cause us to grow. But it's all about meekness and loneliness and humility. Choose meekness and humility. When your flesh or the enemy tries to tell you that you have the right or that you don't have to put up with this, you have the right to choose to handle it like Jesus did. And that's the spirit of this age. I don't have to put up with that. And that can get into the church. And that can be one of the, the ingredients that can bring disunity in the church. I don't have to listen to that. You can't, you don't have, I'm not, I don't have to listen to you talking to me that way. Right? We might not say those words, but we can bring that attitude into the church. That preacher doesn't, he can't tell him, right? Right? That's a dangerous place to be in. So we are in the yoke with him and he is leading us. If we are in the yoke with him and he's leading us, it won't be as hard. We just get in the yoke. It's all about submission. It's all about humility. It's all about letting him lead. If we let Jesus be in control, we don't try to put our hand back on the steering wheel of the bus. If we let him lead and guide and direct and order our thoughts and our steps and all those things, we won't have, if all of us are shooting for that same goal, then the enemy won't have much of a chance to get in here and bring disunity in the body. But it's going to take, I emphasize this every week that I've been up here, it's going to take work on our part. It's not just going to happen just because we have the Holy Ghost. It's not just going to happen just because we're in the church. And we're in an apostolic church. It's not automatic. It takes work. It takes effort. We need to come in here every time we come together, every moment that we live, every Waking hour, we have to wake up and determine within ourselves that I am going to walk with the Lord today and I'm going to seek His face and His desire and His will, not my own will. That's where we get in trouble. I want my way. You know, we we were like that as kids, whether we want to admit it or not. At some point, every one of us stomped our feet because we didn't get our toy or we didn't get our ice cream or we didn't get whatever. We had our little attitude and our little hissy fit, and we got a little whooping for it. And Then we tried it again and later, and we got a whooping for it again. And sooner or later, we said, that's not a good thing to do. I think I'll quit that because that whooping hurts. Right? So God will, God will let us know when we're getting out of line, won't he? He'll kind of give us a whooping. Maybe just me. Amen? He will. And that scripture in verse uh, 
3 of Ephesians 4 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. I kind of keyed on that word endeavoring. Philippians 2, you know, that word endeavoring means that it's, you're putting forth some effort. You're thinking about it. You're focused on it. It's not just a happenstance. You're not just kind of, just kind of floating along like a boat on the water. You're, you're really putting forth a lot of effort. You're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You're working at it. And Paul's telling the church this. You've got to work together. Like a football team or a basketball team trying to get to the NCAA Final Four. They're working together. They have to work together as a team or they're never going to make it to the Sweet 16, much less the Final Four. They have to be able to begin to work as a unit, as a team, and, and just Run like a motor. Right? Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. There's a key right there. A servant is not lifted up and arrogant, prideful, right? A servant is humble. He has humility. He's bound to, to be obedient to the master that he is under. And he has made himself and was made in likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient. That's exactly what we did when we came to an altar of repentance, when we came to that church service where we felt the preacher preaching, we felt that conviction coming on us so strong that it was all we could do to keep from running down the aisle and and running to the altar and hitting our knees halfway down there and saying, I need you, God, I need you, and I'll do whatever it takes. Just fill me with the Holy Ghost. Right? He humbled himself. We had to humble ourselves. We had to say, I need God. I can't do this. My way is not working. Amen? It didn't say he liked it. It just said he humbled himself. He became obedient to the Father's perfect will. And Jesus Jesus talked about as he was leaving the earth that he, he was talking to his Father in prayer and he said, I, you gave these people to me and I'm, I'm paraphrasing and, and you've given me power and now you're going to give them the same power. And, and so just, I just want to pray, Father, that they would be one even as you and me are one. It's his prayer that we be one, that we be united, that we be moving toward the same goal. We wouldn't have the growth in this Wisconsin district and be highlighted by the the whole organization if we didn't have a purpose and a goal in mind and everybody working to that same end. We wouldn't have it if every section and every church was saying, well, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to do what I want to do. We wouldn't have that. We'd still be struggling, wouldn't we? Looking at another district that's growing, wondering why aren't we growing? Right? Patience and forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, Put on therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. Ooh, that's a tough one right there. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. 
Wasn't that same concept in the prayer that Paul, that G, that they asked Jesus when he said, they said, teach us to pray? Wasn't that part of that? Forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. So it's really kind of backwards. As I'm forgiving others, please forgive me is the way it should read. <laughs> you better be forgiving people first. Well, Lord, I'll forgive them after you forgive me. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's not how it works. It's not do unto them before they do unto you. That's not how it works. Forgive us. So with that humble, that humility and with that, that meekness and all that becomes also long suffering. Long suffering. Suffering long. Enduring some things. You know, you're going to have to endure some things. You're not going to get out of having pain, problems, and pressures in life just because you have the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, the more the more people that come into this building, when we double, you're bringing in more personalities and more idiosyncrasies and more stuff that you're going to have to deal with and learn to get along with each other, right? Those All those little... 20 whatever kids that are going to come to that fifth grade classroom next week where my wife teaches, they're all going to have to learn to get along with each other. And that's part of her job is to show them how they can. And so that's what the Lord is trying to do with us. It's learning the process as we go through life. Uh, It is a learning process as we go through life. We are constantly learning to be patient with ourselves, with others. That, That one there is hardest. For some people, being patient with yourself, right? We want to be impatient with ourselves. Even as the Lord, our Savior, extends the same to us every day. We have to forgive ourselves as he forgives us. We have to love others. We have to be patient with others because, really, we want somebody to be patient with us, don't we? Right? Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye kind and to one another and tender-hearted. Having, that, that is it's not, it's something easy to speak and say. It's something that's really hard to do sometimes. It takes effort. Here we go back to that same concept. We, it's going to take work. Unity is going to take work. I mean, just two people. It's not about location. My wife is not here. She's in Houston, Texas, but we have been united. Isn't that what they say when, when you do your wedding vows? They talk about these two people come together to unite in holy matrimony. We're united whether she's standing right here next to me or she's in Houston, Texas. We're, we're both working towards the same end, the same goal. We both have idiosyncrasies that, that the stuff about me she doesn't like. She just learned to deal with it. <laughs> there's, there's stuff about her I don't like, but I've learned to deal with it because I learned a long time ago I can't change her. When I learned that, life got a whole lot better. <laughs> I didn't learn it initially. <laughs> it took me a couple of years. <laughs> Finally, when I realized if I just change me and pray for her and worry about changing me, it's amazing how things worked out. But we have to be united. We have to be working together as a team. 
And I have to humble myself sometimes, and she has to humble herself sometimes, and that's how it is when you're a part of a team. Right? Because otherwise the enemy's going to come in and use all of those little differences and things to, to splinter the group. Then we're not accomplishing anything for the kingdom. This is how important unity is. It really is. How many wants to accomplish something for the kingdom? I don't want to just come to church. I want to accomplish something for the kingdom. I don't, I want to do whatever I've got to do to get the disunity. If it's coming through me, I want to get it out of the way and deal with it. Amen. Okay. We're going to move on to talk about love. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. And that word love there in that scripture is the word, the Greek word agape, which is God's kind of unconditional love. It's the only love in the Bible that doesn't have any conditions connected to it. Okay? So walk in love as Christ also hath loved or agaped us. He loved us unconditionally, didn't he? He didn't have any restrictions. He didn't have any, just come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He would that all men might be saved. He wanted to save us. All we had to do was just submit and come. He already loved us. We loved him. Why? Because he first loved us. Right? And he first loved us where? At the cross. When they were, when he was laying on the ground, they were nailing his hands and his feet. He loved us. We weren't even born yet. But when you're God, and you know the end from the beginning, and you already know things that haven't happened yet, it's, you're able to love. He already knew what you were going to do before you come to church. He already knew the life you were leading. He already knew all those things, and yet he still loved you. And he gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. His love is so unconditional, and he loves us with no expectation of us returning his love. You mean to tell me he loves the sinner out there that's waking up with a hangover this morning? Or maybe the one that's already started drinking today? Absolutely. He loves them. He doesn't want to see them in that state. He wants to see them here at this altar receiving the Holy Ghost. He still loves them. He's going to love them right to the end. Thank God he loves us. Thank God he loved us to bring us to that place. It wasn't automatic. We had to choose to be a part of this. For, For the sake of unity, we are called to walk in his kind of love, no matter what response it brings. That's a tough one. Really, it is. To walk in agape love, to love people, right, with their idiosyncrasies, with all their weird ways and all their smells and all that stuff. It's it's harder than you think to love people. But when you love them with the kind of love that Jesus loved us with, when, you, when you're operating in agape love, nothing matters. The, the external things that you see, hear, smell, taste, whatever, doesn't matter. He did the very thing, he did that very thing when he, when he walked on the earth. He gave himself an offering and a sacrifice with all of our mess and all of our problems. He loved us. He gave himself for us willingly. So it's not too hard if he came to, to earth and walked as a man and did it. 
He showed us it's not that hard if we'll just determine to do it. But we, when you've got him living inside of you and you let him be in control, it's really not hard at all. Now, and that's my prayer most, most days when I get up, I know I'm going to go to work and deal with people. You know, and I, I want more than anything that the words that I say and the, my actions and that something about me draws somebody, that he uses me as that, that vessel to do that, that I can love them with the love of Jesus Christ because it's not, it's hard to love some people with that kind of love. It really is. Because they do stuff that gets on your every last nerve. Why? Because they're human and you're human. You didn't take that away from us. I don't know why I'm saying all this. It must have something to do with unity. (laughs) Discovering unity's potential. Unity is probably the main prerequisite for successful evangelism and missions. Every committed Christian should be passionate about reaching the lost and loving them into the kingdom. It's more than just handing them a track. It's more than just inviting them to church. Not that those things are bad. But you've got to eventually realize that you're going to have to begin to to develop a relationship because you're going to be sitting in front of somebody teaching a Bible study. It might not be an official Bible study at a table. It might be at work. It might be on a bus. It might be over the phone. It might be on Facebook. You never know. But you are... We are, what's the Bible say that we are an epistle? Our life is an epistle. It's a story written and known and written of all men. They're watching us. Whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, you're, you're being watched. You're being observed. Because it's amazing how many people out there know how we're supposed to live as apostolics. And they're not apostolics. And they're judging based on what they see. So I want them to see and feel the love of Jesus Christ. When I'm walking down that hallway and just nodding my head and saying hello and good morning to somebody, I want them to feel Jesus. I don't want them to see me. I want them to feel something and in their mind they go, wow, there's something about that guy. I don't know what it is. Not not for my glory, for his glory. I want them to feel that. Because I felt that one day when I was around somebody that had this and I thought, wow, it's I'm weird here. Then I got it, and it was like, wow, now I know what I was feeling. Spreading the gospel is is much too big a task for one person, for one church and one organization, but if each laborer will do their part, we can see it come to pass. Jesus didn't just leave it up to one person when he left the earth. There was there was about 120 fell out come walking out of that room. And that, and that turned into 3,000 and they went out from house to house breaking bread and having fellowship with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And you think they did that without some unity involved in their, in what they were doing? They were, they had to be united. They had to be focused to go in the same direction. I think I used this analogy before, before, before. If we're trying to move a semi truck, if there's a, semi-truck out here broke down and right in front of the church. Nobody can get by. Nobody can park. And we say, well, and the, and the wrecker's not here yet. And we're like, well, we're going to go out there and help this guy move this truck, right? And if 
if a couple of us get on this side of the truck and a couple of us get on that side of the truck and a couple of us get out in front of the truck and some of us get behind the truck and we all say, ready to go, we start pushing. We're united. We're all pushing on the truck. Is it going to go anywhere? No, it's not. <laughs> We're just going to get wore out trying to push in our own direction. But if we'll get over on the back of that truck, all of us together, I don't even, I don't care if it's the little, little kids, old people, it doesn't matter. If everybody puts one hand on that truck and just leans their body weight into it, guess what's going to happen? We're going to move that truck. Might not be very far, but we're going to move that truck by our concerted, united effort. See how important it is for everybody to be kind of focused in the same direction? We gotta get behind the vision for this church. We gotta get behind the man of God. Where God is taking this church, right? Right? It's true. Doesn't matter who's pushing. If we're united in the same direction, with the same focus, with the same vision, with the same purpose in mind, Seeing souls saved, that's how the church grew. They were all teaching the same thing. They were all speaking the same thing. They all had the same goal in mind. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, two are better than one. Because they go, they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone, when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. How can, but how can one be warm alone? And if the one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All throughout the Bible, this is, this is how Israel won their battles. They were united with the one that called them and set them apart. They were focused on the same goal. When they didn't, when they weren't focused like that, when they were wanting to do their own thing and go off in their own direction, that's when they got in trouble. Psalms 133, verse 1 through 3 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Wow. Together in unity. Can I say that one more time? Together in unity. It is like a precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even upon Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that ascended upon the mountain of Zion. For there, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. How He's emphasizing how awesome unity is. You know where I'm from in Kentucky, they, the state flag of Kentucky is blue, like the Wisconsin flag, and it's got a big circle in the middle, and there's two guys standing there facing each other, and one's in a gray uniform, and one's in a blue uniform, the north and the south, and they're shaking hands, and around the outside of that circle it says, united we stand, divided we fall. How true is that? United we stand, Divided, we fall. That's a principle. A house divided against itself, the Bible says, cannot stand. 
wanted to read one more scripture this morning. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20 says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. He recognizes unity between two people that are united and focused toward the same goal and same end. Whatever they ask, he's going to give it to them. For where two or three are gathered together, there's that word together again, in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So God dwells among us when we are united toward the same goal and the same end, doesn't he? If, if you have disunity in a church body, you can be assured that God's not anywhere around that mess. Somebody else is, is heading that up, if you will. So there was a day in each one of our lives that we made a vow and we made a commitment to God that we would choose to serve him. Just like that vow and that commitment when I stood at that altar and, and the preacher said, do you? And I said, I do. And, and then he looked at her and said, do you? And she said, I do. Not knowing what we agreed upon at that point in time. And it's the same thing with our commitment and our vow to God. We had no idea what we were committing ourselves to. We didn't. We had no idea what God was going to ask us to do. But we made a, a commitment ahead of time and a vow that I'm going to serve God whatever he asks me to do. And by that, the implication in that was that I'm going to be united in what, just like the church on the day of Pentecost when in, in Acts 2, 41 through 47, they were all together in one accord in one place in the upper room. They And they and then at, at the end of that whole thing when the 3,000 were added to the church, they, they went out together, having favor with all the people. And because of that unity, because of that emphasis and working together with one another, God, they had favor with all the people. Why is that? I, you know, we read over that, but when I read that, it was like, why did they have favor with all the people? All the unsaved people, because they recognized something about them that was unique. They were all in the same mind, same focus, same vision, same purpose, same message. And there was just something uncanny about it that just drew people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be, or such as were being saved. One last story. Kind of a story. Canadian geese. We were talking about pressure this morning in leadership. You know, Canadian geese, they fly in a V. And so the guy in front, girl, if you will, whatever, <laughs> the one in front is taking all of the pressure. They're feeling all of the the, the strong wind and the pressure. And the reason they fly in that bee is because it it has a way of breaking the wind. <laughs> Praise God. It does. It's a windbreak. And so all the guys that are behind that one guy, they're just back there kind of taking it easy. And they're what are they doing while they're back there? They're going honk, honk, honk. Why are they doing that? They're not going, come on, dude. They are, but what they're doing is they're encouraging the guy in the front to keep going. What I read was they can go 70% further than they would if they all flew alone. 
And so what, what happens after a while is that guy in the front, the one in the front gets a little tired from taking all that pressure. And so what do they do? They just kind of fall back. And the next guy, without anybody saying anything, the next one just steps up. And he's, he's all refreshed because he's been kind of in that pocket where the wind has been break, broken out away from him. Just kind of just been coasting, if you will. So the next guy, he's strong and he's ready to go and he jumps up there and the other guy comes to the back and he rests for a while and they just keep doing that and they keep rotating. And they can go hundreds and hundreds of miles like that. And one of the amazing things is if one of them's sick or one of them falls out, a couple of them will fall out with them. And they'll go stay with them until they're ready to fly again or they die. They're amazing creatures. And God shows us a principle in that. We got to do this together. And it's not going to be just one, one person leading this. You're a body, right? When you go to the store, your legs don't go and leave your, the rest of you behind at home. Your whole body goes with you together. So we're in this together. And it's not just this little congregation right here either. It's the one in Maquan. It's the one in, it's all the ones in Wisconsin and Minnesota and, and Iowa and Missouri and Kentucky and all these and every missionary that's out there. We're working. We're a part of the same body. You know, we can't go to the mission field, but we go by giving. We're united in that effort. We believe in that effort. We're willing to sow seed into that effort because we believe if we'll take some of the pressure off the missionary by buying them a nice vehicle so that they don't have to stress over what kind of, how am I going to get around? We take that pressure off of them by, by giving because we can't go because God called them, not us. And so it's all about, you know, you see how, how it kind of mushrooms here, how unity is not just about here, okay? Everything we do for the kingdom is all about uniting. You know, that song we sing, the wedding of the bride united with the groom. We shall see the king when he comes. We're united with him. It's his purpose. It's his plan. It's his will. We just need to be, he's the head duck, if you will, the head goose. We got to get behind him and do what, and he's going to put us in the front sometimes. And we can know that there's going to come a time when we get tired, he'll let us fall back and somebody else step up. Amen? I hope this has been good for everybody. I hope that something I said has been a blessing to somebody. I guess I should say something the Lord said. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time together to this morning talking about unity. I pray that the words that have been said in this place have been words that have brought conviction, that have brought encouragement, that have brought edification that you would have your way in every one of our hearts, souls, and minds, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us and direct us as you already are and are as you will. Father, give us, Lord, a strength for this day and for all that you would call us to do now and in the future. And help, help us to have a great service in the next part of the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Wow, you get a 20-minute break. Hallelujah.